0: first major thanksgiving proclamation other presidents had done minor ones but this was the one that really solidified it is the holiday we know he puts it out in 1863 which is the worst year of the civil war you have the two bloodiest battles of the civil war Gettysburg and Chickamauga Gettysburg over 50,000 Chickamauga you're looking at about 35,000 killed missing or wounded and yet amidst all that he's not only asking the nation but giving them a charge to to pray for those who are who are mourning who are hurt but also to keep holding on for a better tomorrow, to ask God for his blessing and his mercy. And it's really a reminder that we only have the life we have, the breath in our lungs we have, uh, because there's a God who loves us.
1: Welcome back to The Kevin Roberts Show. This is a special episode. I mean, really special. This is the first time we have endeavored to record a Thanksgiving special, and a Thanksgiving special because we should always be grateful. You probably heard me say once or maybe a hundred times in the couple of years we've done this show that the heart of a conservative is to be gratitude to be grateful first. And so, the best way I can do that here at Heritage is to feature my colleagues, all of whom who are friends. And so, that would be a little time consuming if we had all three hundred plus of us on this episode. And so, this year we've got several of my colleagues each of whom will talk about a different aspect of why they're grateful. Also, a different aspect of the holiday of Thanksgiving itself, because so much of what we have lost in the United States, but we can reclaim, is remembering our customs, our traditions, even as a few people who happen to be vocal want to take them away from us. So thanks for joining. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Very fitting. My first guest colleague, on this episode is Chris DeMuth, one of our newest members to the Heritage team, but someone who is known throughout the country and the world, he was a longtime president of American Enterprise Institute, and is now is the, the Distinguished Senior Fellow in American Thought here at Heritage. Chris, <laughs> the grand poobah, the conservative movement, <laughs> thanks for being here.
2: I'm thankful to be at Heritage Foundation and thankful to be here with you to discuss Thanksgiving.
1: Tell us why Thanksgiving still matters.
2: First of all, it is America's oldest holiday, and it is many Americans, including my own, favorite holiday. It goes back to very early, uh, to the 16th, 17th century, early settlers in Florida. It was celebrated uh, intermittently, pretty much throughout the uh, colonial period, and it was a harvest festival uh, giving thanks uh, to for nature's bounty and to God for all of His blessings. Um, often at the end of hard times. Um, sometimes it was a day of, of of feasting and festival. Sometimes it was a fasting day. Uh, it it had elements of penance and charity from the very beginning. The first found the first Thanksgiving. Uh, in 1621, there, there are many controversies about Thanksgiving, and you and I are Virginians, and Virginians sometimes claim that Jamestown actually came a year or two earlier, but we generally think of the Pilgrim's first Thanksgiving at the end of a terribly hard first winter. Half of the people who'd come over on the Mayflower were lost, uh, but Native American tribes, Helped them, taught them American agriculture. They had a pretty good planting season, a terrific harvest in the fall, and they set a, set aside three days uh, to uh, to give thanks. Uh, the survivors and uh, a, a even larger a contingent of uh, of Indians um, to um, to memorialize what they had uh, come through. But the big change came in the administration of George Washington in his first year of his first term, and it was the first presidential proclamation of any kind, um, recommending to the people of America that they set aside a day of thanksgiving for the blessings that had come to them. It was not like an American executive order issuing from the White House today, it was very modest and dutiful. And George Washington emphasized that he was doing this in response to a request from a joint resolution of Congress. So the representatives of the people had put this idea forward and it had been controversial. Some people in the House and Senate had thought that it sounded like a European tradition. There were Thanksgivings in the old world that we were trying to put aside. Many of them thought that it was violating the separation of church and state for the president to make such a proclamation, but it had ended up passing by a fairly considerable majority. And the president, as I say, he did not order anybody to do anything. He was not stepping out uh, in issuing an order, he was recommending uh, that the nation pause and give thanks, and he transformed what had been a celebration of the harvest, gratitude for uh, uh, the bounteous harvest that had just come, to a th- to thanks for the blessings of liberty, that the independence of the nation and the Constitution had given to us uh, as, as agents of God's will. Listen to this. He recommends that we give sincere and humble thanks for God's care and protection previous to their becoming a nation for the manifold mercies and favorable interpositions of his providence with which we experienced in the course and conclusion of the late war, for the degree of tranquility, union, and plenty which we have since enjoyed, for the peaceable and rational manner in which we have been enabled to establish constitutions of government, speaking of the states, for our safety and happiness, and particularly the national one now lately instituted for the civil and religious liberty with which we are blessed. So it is now becoming more of a political document and a national document. We are giving thanks, uh, not not just for the harvest, but after 13 intense years, beginning with the declaration, with the war, the founding of two governments, the first one a failure, the second one, we're hoping it's a success. It's not even a a year old. Washington is referring to many private blessings that he wants us to give thanks for but he's referring to them as reflections of the peace and civility and the rule of law that our new political institutions have created so it's political it's a it was a political holiday not in a partisan sense but in the sense of appreciating the great blessings of living in a nation that had come through such terrible times, uh, and had achieved the beginnings at least um, of, uh, of a peaceful and successful nation. And political in the best sense of the term. Political in the best sense of the term. Um, it changed a little bit. Uh, John Adams, who was a, uh, a little bit a, a more of a dour uh, character, uh, he proclaimed Thanksgiving as a day of repentance and, um, and humility. There's this Massachusetts upbringing coming <coughs> out as yes. opposed to the Virginian, that's, that, right? That, that's right, so you can see the different um, aspects of it. And then Jefferson refused to issue a proclamation so because typical. he thought that it would be a violation of the separation of church and state. Madison felt sort of that way, and it, it fell out of practice until uh, Abraham Lincoln uh, in the fall of 63. Now we're in the midst of a terrible war. Uh, But it is also a public statement to give thanks to God for such blessings as we could see in the midst of this terrible war Um, because the range of violence had been limited to the theater of war. Foreign nations had not taken uh, advantage to invade, as some of them had been thinking of. Um, There was, in general, peace and rule of law in areas of the nation removed. So he's looking for good things and he's looking forward to a nation that would um, uh, that would enjoy blessings of increased freedom after the war.
1: If you had the opportunity for President Biden, and I mean, this is a political question, but not a partisan one, you had the opportunity to give him advice on what to say in a Thanksgiving proclamation this year. In other words, accounting for all of the challenges in the country, including a toxicity in our, in our politics. What, did, what would your advice be?
2: I, I would urge him to uh, to emphasize what I regard as the most important part of Thanksgiving, which is that it is a day of pause. It is a, pay of, it is a day, it, it is a sort of a um, a secular national Sabbath. When we put aside uh, our cares, our, even our ambitions, uh, to simply sit back, uh, to um, put our individually, individuality aside, and we are in a home. We are with a family. We are bringing in sometimes extended family from around the country, um, roommates, friends who perhaps are without family, um, engaging in acts of uh, of charity. Um, it is a day for family, for important rituals. We still have the har- it's still a harvest feast uh, when we have a big splendid table, but everybody participates uh, in that. It is a day completely different. Uh, f- it's from other holidays. Uh, and from uh, the usual cares of our lives, so it is a way. It is a time when we should just think of our blessings uh, that have been unearned. To count those blessings and concentrate, uh, to concentrate on those and how they should um, lead us to rededicate ourselves to live better lives in the future. I would urge you, so. A pres- president, modern presidents, often talk about their political programs and the nation give should give thanks for all of the wonderful legislation that I've proposed to Congress. I would suggest that President Biden uh, not do uh, any of that. Uh, but uh, to suggest the, um, uh, the religious um, uh, uh, aspects of thanksgiving, giving thanks to God, putting aside our differences, emphasizing our humanity, and you know George Washington observed the first Thanksgiving by making a charitable gift. He didn't advertise it, he just did it. Uh, and I would suggest that uh, President Biden emphasized emphasize charity, helping out others, helping out the less fortunate, um, which are in, which are all political acts in that we're all doing it as individuals in our homes, but we're doing it when millions and millions of other small platoons all around our country were all doing it as Americans at the same time, so it is—it is a time of private uh, uh, thanks and gratitude, but it is also one of uh, national celebration. And I would—I would—I would, I would, uh, I would uh, ask the president to emphasize that. And uh, um, so, what a great—I so, mean, truly great advice for him or for any president
1: but also some good advice for the rest of us as we prepare whatever our, our family customs are going to be. One final question for you, Chris, what are you most grateful for this Thanksgiving season?
2: Um, uh, th- 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 those are, those are personal. They're, they're personal aspects of gratitude. Uh, <clears throat> I'm, uh, Kevin, I'm one of your oldsters around here and I have been blessed by uh, excellent health um, and uh, it's something that I work on but mostly it's something that was completely unmerited and just given to me uh, and I'm thankful that I can be uh, uh, active. I can be a somewhat productive citizen uh, at at my age. Um, I'm grateful for the strength of our institutions because my life at Heritage in the years before that have been devoted to the study and understanding of America's political uh, institutions, the Constitution, the rule of law, sound economic policies. And as you know, those of us who study these things uh, are often overwhelmed by all the mistakes we're making, how far we are falling short. uh, on Thanksgiving, what I think we should all think about is the, and be grateful for is the tremendous strengths that have gotten Americans through so many terrible periods and that are going to get us through the periods of, of serious travail that we're in today.
1: We'll need to remember those. So thanks for joining me, Chris DeMuth. And I will say that one Thank of the you. things I'm grateful for, both professionally and personally, is that in addition to our friendship, I now get to call you a colleague. Thanks for joining me. Thank you, President Ron. Thank you very much, Mr. President. <laughs> That's fine once, but Kevin's fine. <laughs> Chris, have a great Thanksgiving. Thank you. Delano Squires, research fellow, DeVos Center, great friend, colleague, someone whose hiring I remain so grateful for. <laughs> it kinda happened around this show. It did. Which, which is just awesome and it did. providential. And uh, what, a year or so in? Things are still going well. Thanks for joining me. Uh, We're going to talk about a lot of things, family, Thanksgiving, custom. Mm. Let's start with national identity. Mm. This is a noble country Mm. in spite of all of its warts. Mm -hmm. What would you say as an immigrant yourself, Mm -hmm. a son of immigrants, Mm -hmm. who's grateful for this country but well aware of its warts from the political left to the political right, what's the advice you have for Americans who are aware of those warts to still be grateful about what we have?
3: That's a great question. I think um, my advice really s- springs from how I see family, which is you don't get to choose the one you're born into. Um, and as you said, every family has you know its strengths, its weaknesses, its warts, its secrets. Um, but I think it's unwise for a man to destroy the land that he's standing on. Um, so I'm a person that has a deep sense of gratitude for America, p- partly because You know, my parents came here over 40 years ago, and it's the only home that I've ever known, and it's the, Lord willing, only home my children will ever know. Um, And there's a a lot to love about this country, and part of what it means to be a mature adult is to be able to um, see things for what they really are, a clear picture. Not one that's rosy, that that denies, um, you know, the ways in which our creeds and deeds have not always aligned, but one that understands that, you know, we are a more perfect union because we've been striving to match those two things up. So uh, I, I know it can be difficult at times, but I'm a person that believes deeply in the virtue of gratitude. Because one thing I will say is this is that much of what we're seeing in this, you know, people talk about wokeness and, and and sort of the woke movement one thing that doesn't get discussed enough is the extent to which we're losing our sense of gratitude. Uh, and when I look at you or you look at me and you say, well, you, um, my your sex or your race gives you a leg up, what it ultimately ends up doing is making people ungrateful for the things that they have. Because for whatever little we think we have and what more we think we should have, someone always has less and is desirous of what we have. So, um, so all of those things sort of go into how I think about um, a sense of gratitude and thanksgiving for this country.
1: Are there? This is related, but it may seem like a, a little bit of of a, of a pivot. But one of the things we're trying to do in this episode is is highlight customs of colleagues and mm-hmm. own families. Mm-hmm. Are there special customs that that your family had growing up or your family now with with your own kids has that you would share with the audience as a way of maybe encouraging them to rekindle some of those? I ask that question because if polls are to be trusted, and at mm-hmm. least the trends in polls, I think, can be trusted. Mm-hmm. Americans are sort of losing touch of, or with this kind of
3: quasi-religious element of mm-hmm. the, the
1: Thanksgiving holiday, which yeah. President Washington set out so long ago.
3: So, I, I remember as a kid, one of our customs is that we would meet at my aunt's house um, every year, and at that time, at the height of it, I was, probably had about 20, 30 people in the house. Aunts, uncles, cousins, family friends who would come you know, from Brooklyn on the Bronx and, and drive to Queens and we would all eat and, and you know, have fun and dance. Um, and that really was one of the most special memories I have of growing up in, in as a kid. Um, now, we're, we, as a young family, we're creating our own customs. Um, I don't kill my own bird. <laughs> M- maybe one day if I get into hunting, I will. Um, but just being able to spend some quiet time with the family uh you know and and we're we're still developing some of those things one of the things that we used to do early on in my marriage my wife and i we would travel to houston because she said how much um thanksgiving meant to her parents um so so we did that for a number of years haven't been doing it as much obviously since since covid but um we we try to to develop we're trying to develop more of those customs and traditions in our family so that our kids have something to hold on to um, and then they have something to pass on to to their own children it's still possible,
1: <clears throat> given the political differences in this country, which, as you said in, in our, our first conversation thread, highlight these immutable characteristics of, of, of all of us, just as a, as a political project, or maybe it's better put as a social project, for us knowing our pluralism mm-hmm. as a society to actually get back to the point hmm. where there's a greater emphasis on shared national holidays perhaps starting with Thanksgiving. And if that's the case, what can we do at our respective Thanksgiving gatherings to begin that project?
3: Hmm. Is it possible? Yes. Um, is it likely on our current trajectory? You're I, an honest I, man. You <laughs> can level with me, Delano. It, it, it's hard to see that. Um, we are breaking breaking apart in so many different ways. And I think one of the things that has made me realize is um, what we have, this sort of experiment in our country, is not the norm. Uh, tribalism is definitely the norm, right? Shared ethnic background, um, a shared sense of land and sort of people groups in situated in a particular place, that is the norm. So the fact that we've gotten as far as we have over the last 250-plus years is a testament to the resilience of the American spirit all, all around. Um, but but I, I hope that we can do that. Uh, but it's hard to have shared holidays when people start from such different perspectives on everything. Um, and and in fact, at times it feels as if if one side says this is a great thing, the other side is duty bound to say, no, we must oppose it. So I, I hope that we can do that. Uh, but as I said, I think Thanksgiving is th- the the notion of being grateful for what you have is one thing that I think you um, sh- can be sort of broadly uh, accepted by Americans of all different types, you know, all different backgrounds, l- religious views, ethnic backgrounds. So I, I'm hopeful, but I don't think the trend lines are pointing in, in the right direction at this point. So maybe what we can do at our Thanksgiving
1: gatherings, for those of us who are the praying sort, is mm-hmm. to, to pray for this. But secondly, in terms of uh, what we can do outside the supernatural, uh, that is to express our gratitude, mm-hmm. uh, to do what we try to do first here, which is to listen before we speak, which mm. you personify, if I may say. And and yet, we can also be <coughs> sober that the reality is not good right now, but yeah. perhaps by doing those things and
3: realizing that culture, what we do in our own homes, will affect politics, that mm. we can get there. Yeah. And I agree. And I think more of us need to become the praying sorts. Um because again, my my faith does drive that sense of, of deep gratitude. I, I wake up every morning, understanding that some people didn't make it through the night. Um, every holiday I get to celebrate with my family and friends, I'm thankful for because I know people you know who've lost both par- people younger than I am who've lost both parents. Um, so there's so much to be thankful for in this life, um, and, and in fact, I think our bounty has help drive this sort of sense of envy and ingratitude. Uh, because for the person that thinks um, that um, when Starbucks runs out of their pumpkin spice flavors that this is a, some sort of crisis, uh, people like that haven't spent enough nights being going to bed hungry um, or living in a place that doesn't have running water, right? So I, I'm aware that, that there are people all across the globe who live those lives. And one of the things that always struck me as ironic is that sometimes you see, you know, missionaries go over to some remote village in Africa, and one of the things that was most consistent about those experiences is that the kids in that village always have a song. They're always singing. There's always a sense of palpable joy that you can get from them. And then you compare it to this country where kids who have every conceivable device and video game console um, are complaining about what they don't have, um, and largely in part because they're listening to parents who complain about what they don't have or what somebody else got that they didn't deserve. So um, I, I, I do feel that one of the things that can help bring us back to that sense of unity uh, is for a greater uh, you know, sense of prominence that uh, religion and faith can play, both in our personal lives and also in the public square. Well, I'll take that as a
1: charge from you this Thanksgiving season. Delano Squires, I remain grateful for our friendship, grateful that you're Absolutely. here as a colleague. And grateful for everything you do for this country. Don't Thank you. you, sir. Thank you, Richard Stern, director of the Herman Center. Here, you'd focus on all things fiscal budget. Uh, you know, if this were a, an episode of a different purpose, we might be talking about a different topic. But the government spending too much money. We'll leave that there, and instead, <laughs> you and I are going to talk about what you're thankful for. Absolutely. What are you thankful for?
4: I well, so honestly, and and you know, and I appreciate. It. Thanks for having me on here. I one of the things I actually love about budget policy is if you do it right, it's about that. It's about the things you value. It's about the things that give you inspiration. It's why you do the things you do. So I'm thankful for you know, my family, friends, those things, the people around me, the, the team that I have here. But you know what I'm saying? I'm thankful that I get to be in a country, I get to work at in an institution where we try to make sure that everyone has the ability to do what they want, to pursue the dreams they have, to, to not just be thankful for things, but to use that as inspiration to make other li- people's lives better. And that gets me up in the morning.
1: Anything different about this year?
4: Well, the government's about to run out of money. Oh, right. What's different about this year?
1: Heritage has been saying that for a long
4: time, right? Exactly, right? Uh, You know, I would say this, right? And, you know, we all know this. There's a lot of pessimism. There's a surplus of pessimism in this country. And that seems to be getting worse year over year. But, you know, I will say this, though, right? We have a new speaker. Uh, I would say maybe, you know, in a long time, kind of the first kind of devoted Christian conservative speaker we've had in a long time. And I, I think there's a new energy in this country, actually, in some ways, that despite the pessimism, There's an increasing kind of determination energy to get back to our roots, to get back to our traditions. Frankly, I think to refine that optimism that I think drove the United States and I think drove the pilgrims to come here and found a nation that for the first time in human history, at least since ancient Israel, was devoted to God's law and, and not just to dictators that ignored God's law, which was most of human history. So I think we're back to that.
1: What needs to happen in 2024? I'll leave that open-ended. So, in, in any sector of life, in order to accelerate uh, or, or maybe implement this this sort of newfound optimism, you have.
4: So, I, I think at some level, and you know, it feels frustrating. You need people to believe it individually in their own hearts, right? I think optimism is something that starts at the individual, and that permeates through our, our uh, institutions, the family, other civic institutions. But pessimism does as well. And so, you know, I think it behooves all of us individually, as you said. To think about what we're thankful for, what our roots are, what our foundations are, what drives us. Not just the thing you do day in, day out at your job, but re- really what motivates you. And I think if all of us focus on that, focus on what we're thankful for, what we have, what our goals are to make the future better for ourselves, our families, our neighborhoods, I think you'll see that more of that energy building. And so, you know, it's for people that lead and, and have platforms to use it. But at some level, it's you know I would ask everyone, right to to be inspired by that, to refine that sense of optimism. And I think the more we do that, we'll we'll get through these times.
1: Switching gears a little bit, a question that I've asked all of our colleagues in this special Thanksgiving episode. Any particular customs, Thanksgiving customs, in your family you're looking forward to?
4: Yeah. So uh, my family usually tries to get together uh, around Thanksgiving. It's always a little difficult being a traditional Jewish family. There's a lot of people in New York and a lot of people in Illinois and, of course, an enormous amount of people in Florida. I was going to say, there has
1: to be some of your family members (laughs) in Florida, right?
4: So I will say it's easier, though, because over time everyone's migrated to Florida, you know both because it's the free state and low taxes, all those amazing things, but it's also, you know, we're Jews tend to populate, right? But so I'm looking forward to everyone getting together for that. Um, but I will tell you, though, so maybe, you know, a little more unique for us as Jews, of course, is we view Thanksgiving as kind of part of the story of Passover. So in some ways, Passover is near the beginning of the year, Thanksgiving is near the end of the year. But, you know, they're both in many ways the same thing, right? They're, they're devoted to being thankful for our free will, for our soul, for what makes each of us individually unique. And so, you know, I, I think that's it's an important moment for, for my family that way is to view Thanksgiving as that kind of end of the year bookend on on recognizing the importance of that and the value of having that freedom and what you can do with it. And so it's always a good time for the family to get together as, as well. For sure. It's
1: a nice break. Uh, one of our, our colleagues talked about Thanksgiving. Most importantly, in addition to those great things you said, being a pause, being a pause from life. And for those of us who are here in D.C., I think especially for you where you're, you are in the middle of budget analysis it seems like every day this year right i mean that that's just kind of been the the policy nature of uh, this interesting thing we call the u.s house of representatives i'm sure you're looking forward to the break last question what advice would you give to anyone in the audience who wants with their head they know in their head they need to be grateful but maybe in their heart they can't quite get there because they see a lot of things to be discouraged by what advice do you give them this Thanksgiving? So I think at, at some level, it's
4: focus on those things that inspire you, right? So I think it's easy at some. I, th- I think if, if you're prone to be thankful for things, you kind of do it naturally. I was one of those people that tended to fixate on what was wrong, what was pessimistic. It's hard wrong. to believe, truly. Well, you have to. I have, know you'd be one of the most hopeful people. That's why, though, because I I know what it's like to not have that. Uh, in fact, I you know I, I, you know a little bit of my story is I grew up in a very liberal family actually, and so. Uh, you know, in some ways, and I, I got interested in politics when I was a liberal. And so, you know, and, and where I came from on that, so I'm not saying it kind of looking at the other side, but saying from my own background, it's peddling in pessimism, right? It's it's an ideology that fixates on what you're not grateful for, that fixates on what's wrong with the world, it fixates on imperfections. So what I would say, right, is, you know, if you if you're not already prone to look at what you're thankful for, if you're not already prone to be motivated by the good things, focus on that. What is it about the world that you think is beautiful, that you think just kind of organically comes together? What is it about the world where things that have guided your hand, things you could never have planned for, but led you into the right place? All of us have that story. All of us have stories where there were things that we would never have expected made the difference and did in a positive way. If you focus on that, I think it opens you up to feel all of those things that we just naturally take for granted because there's no problem. There's no crisis. It's already good. If you fixate on that, I think what most people see is even in the darkest times, and I've been there as well, the vast majority of things around you are actually pretty good, and they work pretty well. And so you can, you can ignore the kind of the few problems around you and fixate on how much is good and how far you've come in your life.
1: So that would be my advice. What a terrific Thanksgiving reminder. Richard Stern, it's a great pleasure to work with you every day. Likewise. So I'm I'm very grateful for that every single day. Thanks for taking some time out of what is a very busy week for you as you're crunching some budget numbers. Most of all, happy Thanksgiving.
4: Thanks. And you do as well. Thanks so much.
1: You bet. Brenda Hafera, who works in our Simon Center, one of the great policy leaders at Heritage, thanks for joining me.
5: It's a pleasure to be here.
1: Everything you do is awesome. No, truly. And as a historian who is not really able to have a lot of time to continue to do academic history, I read everything you write, and I don't have the time to do that for every scholar at Heritage, and I think everyone understands that. But I love your work. It's always a sober diagnosis of revisionist history, which is terrible, how that is is seeped into so many of our historic sites, especially here in the Washington, D.C. area but it's always with an attitude of being grateful for the past, honoring it properly, telling the story honestly, but also some suggestions about how things could be improved. So thanks for your work, but tell us about the scourge of revisionist history before we get into some happier notes.
5: Yeah, unfortunately it is spreading and it's spreading very quickly. Of Once it infiltrates one area, It is on to the next. It is always one step further ahead than we can seem to catch up to it, unfortunately. So I think a lot of people are familiar that it's certainly part of our lower education. It's certainly part of our higher education. The higher education institutions actually came first, right? If you really want to be effective, you educate the educators because they're going to go on and educate the children of course. And so that was part of the strategy of get the higher education institutions, get the teachers, and then lower education institutions will follow. So we've seen that in many different forms, in the form of critical race theory, in the form of identity politics. And now, as you mentioned, we're seeing it at our presidential homes and museums, which I find particularly disturbing because so many people have come up to me and say, I remember when I was a little kid, and I went to James Madison's home, and I stood in the room in his library where he thought of the Constitution. And that was a remarkable experience for them. It's something that touches them and makes them feel proud to be an American and to be part of this great experiment in self-government. And to have that taken away from our kids and for them to told that America is this horrible place and they are victims in this whole affair is to take away something fundamental from them. It's one a question of where is our country going? How are we undermining the principles that we're dedicated to? But also it's a question of human dignity of telling children that they are victims has never made anyone strong or grateful or resilient. So these two things are intertwined.
1: So no doubt you are tracking the attacks on Thanksgiving itself as, as a holiday, as a custom, as sort of a quasi-religious, uh, quasi-secular holiday. Is that Are those uh, attacks increasing? Is there any hope that maybe we can turn the corner and push back on them?
5: There's always hope. I would say um, that's my disposition and I think they are increasing as everything is. This is part of the great awakening, as, as they say. Um, and I think in part it's a war on gratitude of that is something gratitude is much like forgiveness. Gratitude is a choice. It's not based in naivete. It's not a dismissal of things or a refusal to confront things, it's a deliberate decision to look at the bad but then to turn to the good. And sometimes it's not easy and it requires a great deal of strength. But I think that we're fortunate in that one of the ways you inculcate gratitude is you study history. And there's a lot in American history to be grateful for and to be proud of. And that's one of the things that when we undermine things like Thanksgiving, when we undermine our history, we're undermining the virtue of gratitude.
1: So as people watching or listening to this think about what they're going to be doing for Thanksgiving, or if they happen to watch or listen to this after the holiday of Thanksgiving, but want to take this this charge from you to to be more explicitly grateful, including about our history... What would you recommend to your fellow Americans to cultivate that virtue of gratitude specifically toward the holiday of Thanksgiving or specifically toward our own history as a nation?
5: Well, I think a good place to start is to read the primary documents, right? It's it's all there, and there's so much of the sense in those primary founding documents that there's a continuity of America and there's a continuity of the American people and that the founders think They owe an obligation and an obligation of gratitude towards those men who fought in the revolution as Abraham Lincoln who laid so costly a sacrifice on the altar of freedom. And they owe gratitude toward those men and women. And then looking forward, they owe an obligation to posterity. And so they are merely a piece in this grand American story. And you get that sense And then if you reflect, you realize that the gift that we've been given is what Robert Frost called the gift outright. It's something that is freely given and is so immeasurable in its significance that you can never fully repay it. And it's not meant to be repaid by a material matching. It's not that kind of gift. And it's not this greedy, ugly obligation, right? It's It's a gift of character. And that's why you can't repay it because it's so significant it forms the very person that you are and what that means is it lays claim to your character and that's the obligation of gratitude
1: it's a great piece of advice for all of us thank you Brenda for mentioning that one quick final question one of the things I try to do on the show as you know it's what we try to do at Heritage with all of our research is not only diagnose a problem propose some solutions but remind especially the audience of this show, that those solutions aren't just for elected officials. They're, they're for all of us. And is there advice that you would give to members of the audience, like visiting a historic site where they live? They don't necessarily have to be in central Virginia and go to Madison's Montpelier or Jefferson's Monticello. Or is, in addition to reading the primary documents, what, what's a, a step, a homework assignment you can give them outside their home where they may be expressing gratitude or cultivating in their fellow Americans a greater sense of love for this country.
5: Well, I think visiting those historic sites is a great recommendation. As you mentioned, there are these sites all over the country. The battlefields, battlefield of Gettysburg is a wonderful place, for example, to see that, that kind of sacrifice. It's really palpable. Um, so the local historic sites, many of them are still doing a very good job. We sometimes lose sight of that in that the national focus on places like James Madison's Montpelier or um, Monticello. But I would say one piece of practical advice I could maybe offer is there's a lot of emphasis put on that we're in a loneliness epidemic right now. Of a lot of people are very disconnected, particularly young men that there's a lack of friendship, there's a lack of rootedness in community. And so many of us are very fortunate that we'll go home to our families and we'll travel and be just surrounded by those families. But the harsh and sad reality is there are a lot of people who aren't that fortunate in that way. And so maybe if you know one of those people of a college student who's stranded for the holidays or someone who's not very connected in your church to invite them to come to your Thanksgiving.
1: Something that simple.
5: Something that simple.
1: Brenda Haferra, thanks for joining me. Thanks for everything you do for Heritage and for this country.
5: It's a real pleasure. Take care. Thank you. Bridget Weisenberger,
1: great friend, colleague. I'm grateful for both of those things. You are our director for campaigns and partnerships at Heritage. Thank you for that work. And quick but big and important question for you. What role do cultural institutions which you interact with as part of your job, play in sustaining gratitude generally, but also the American custom of our Thanksgiving holiday?
6: Yeah, I think just to start Thanksgiving itself, if you read any of the Thanksgiving proclamations, it all starts with giving thanks to God. Um, And that's a a reminder to us that gratitude is the starting place for self-government in America. um, That it's more than mere liberties, mere, uh, rights, but there is an understanding that there is a creator to whom things are owed, uh, and out of his generosity, um, we have what we, what we have here in America. And so I think that it's a, that understanding of America is essential when you're talking about, um, religion and the role of faith to constantly remind us that that is at the core of what it makes America what it is and what allows for the self-government we have uh, here.
1: So with that in mind, what do we owe each other as citizens? I don't mean that in like a Bernie Sanders socialist way. You know that. <laughs> we have to make that caveat on this show. But civically, like on a human level, what do we owe each other in this society we call America?
6: Well, I think it's very hard to answer that question if you don't have a sense of faith. And anything other than mere rights and duties, um, but there is a sense. So, in in the idea of generosity and the idea of gratitude, there's a sense of dependence. If you if someone is giving generously to you, you have this understanding that I am somewhat dependent on them. And it's not you know we're mere rational animals in a Aristotelian sense, but we're actually dependent rational animals. Uh, and so, faith constantly reminding us of that part then had. Puts on us a responsibility and a duty towards others, that is, it is freely given. It's gift, um, and I think it it makes it opens things up to be beautiful, in a in a whole different way. That it's it's not just what I have to give you, just part of justice, because part of justice in relation to God is thankfulness for everything, in relation to each other, thankfulness for things given that we're owed, but when you add generosity and that level, it's a whole new beautiful um, expression of, of gift and duty.
1: So one final question, although I would love, as you know, to talk Aristotle for an hour or two with you, but I'm not sure everyone in the audience would appreciate that. Some definitely would, but you and I and a few of our colleagues can geek out on Aristotle another time. The, the question is, you know well, because among all of us at Heritage, you travel this country more or certainly as, as much as anyone else, that Americans, while they re- want to remain hopeful, and they are at their core grateful people, we are a grateful people, we're also very generous people, they're on the brink of despair, if not some communities actually being in despair. What piece of advice or two do you have for someone who says, Bridget, I want to be there with you, being grateful, but I need, I need some sense of what's the first step to take in order to get there?
6: I'm a little biased. I have a lot of nieces and nephews uh, and I think it is very hard not to be grateful and not to be hopeful because you kind of have to be when you spend time with young children and there is just something so beautiful about their laughter. It's contagious and you can't you have to fight for it because you know you want to protect that innocence Um, but you have no choice but to do it so you have to be hopeful in that sense.
1: So I'll take that as a, as a lesson for a dad that around the Thanksgiving table when my kids and their friends are laughing, not to have that dad moment and tell them to be quiet, but to rejoice in the moment, right?
6: Perhaps. It's really cute when it's under three, but... Uh...
1: Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, but you're, to your larger point, which is it's excellent. Spend time around kids. And that's a great reminder of why we do what we do. Thanks for everything you do. I hope you have a great Thanksgiving, and it's wonderful to be at Heritage with you. Take care. Sarah Felposh, our Director of House Relations for Heritage Action, thanks for what you do. You've been a busy gal the yes. last few months, but we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> instead, we're going to be optimistic about the future here in D.C. and in the country. And instead, you're from Michigan, like many states, but Michigan's profoundly the case uh, with, with with this. Cultural institutions are huge. Cultural traditions, no matter where someone's family is from, are huge as you think about Thanksgiving, whatever it is that you're going to be doing with family and friends, talk to us about the importance of culture.
7: Well, I think first and foremost, it's unity for me. Uh, you know, I come from a really big family in West Michigan. I uh, went to school in Holland, Michigan. And so both of the the areas that I grew up and then going to Hope College, you know, both had very rich cultural histories, obviously, Holland and mm-hmm. uh, the Netherlands. Um, and then moving out to D.C. and the ways that that it can break down, and quickly, uh, coming back to that sense of unity is really important.
1: So in your own family, are there particular customs that, while they might be particular to your family, their culture that might be a good reminder for other Americans to hear?
7: Uh, take everyone as they come in your family, especially around the, around the dinner table, this Thanksgiving, that, that really is a message not to be pejorative. I mean, to be honest and genuine. And I think in those moments for Thanksgiving, particularly for me and my family and something that we try to practice is to really be present, be there, um, be really intentional with the time.
1: And as, as part of that, making sure that maybe the follow-up questions or points we might make about certain things, that that's a day to kind of leave them outside?
7: Maybe. Maybe oh, not. M- maybe not. No, okay. I, I don't know. Most of my family is still back in Michigan. And actually, I, I like to ask some pointed questions. Um, but I think actually in these instances, it's a, it's a good time to ask the questions because it's a time where you really do have people's attention. Yeah. Um, and people are coming to the actual table, um, you know, wanting to engage with you. And I think that's a good time to ask the questions.
1: Well, interesting, because we in at, at, at my family, Thanksgiving dinner, we always try to have people who are stragglers, you know, maybe mm-hmm. they couldn't get home or whatever, and one of our guests last year at the end of Thanksgiving dinner said to my wife and me, um, I was raised not to talk about politics and religion, especially at the Thanksgiving table, but that's all you people discuss. That's a way of saying it. I, I hear you saying it, too. Be authentic. Yeah. Talk about those things. But we we can be respectful yep. and kind about them, especially with people we're sharing a dinner with.
7: Yeah. So you mentioned I'm from Michigan, and it's a Midwest nice. Came out here to D.C. and got a little fight in me. Came back home, and so we're on the dinner table sometimes, um, and Thanksgiving in particular. That can that can come out. Let's have some real conversations. And I think it's, it's well-received.
1: So one final question for you. I think what people who may not be aware of heritage and heritage action ought to be grateful about your work, is that you are our representative inside the US House. And so you've been a particularly busy person this year. You have many legitimate reasons maybe to be discouraged about good policy, about politics, and yet those of us who have the privilege of working with you know that's not how you're constituted. That in spite of those realities that you look forward in a hopeful way to the future, when you woke up this morning, in spite of knowing what you would have to do, which is dealing with some of the House Republican things, good guys and gals, but they have some challenges, no doubt you were grateful for waking up in the United States. What was at the top of the list as reason number one?
7: Reason number one, for waking up this morning, uh, was actually to go home. I made the decision to go home for Thanksgiving this morning. So uh, my family's going through a hard time right now. So that was first and foremost, top of my mind this morning.
2: A great
1: reminder of priorities, mm-hmm. right? Keeping, keeping everything in perspective. Mm-hmm. So thanks for everything you're doing. Have a good time at home and happy Thanksgiving. Thank you. Philip Reynolds. I don't even know your title. You do something. I see you down here in the comm studio all the time. You're digital producer. Yes, sir. Kevin Roberts Show. Yes, sir. All the far more important productions we do at Heritage. And I'm chuckling because you have to tolerate me so much. Thank you. (laughs) I'm grateful for the fact that you tolerate me. I'm grateful to be here. And I think you're grateful because I just agreed that for 10 minutes we were gonna geek out on American history. Yes, sir. Let's start. What's <laughs> All your, right. What's, what's your, I'm really grateful you <laughs> want to do this. And so one of the great things about being the president of the Heritage Foundation is, of course, I can exercise my executive prerogative. I try to do so very, very infrequently, but I'm exercising it now. <laughs> last segment of this special Thanksgiving episode, we're talking history. What's your favorite part of American history? Wow. That, that's,
0: uh, in the top three toughest questions I've ever been fielded, that, Oh come that on comes now. up. No, no, no. It really does. I, I love American history. Um, I'm particularly drawn to, and this isn't really going to tie in very much with Thanksgiving, but Seminole Wars, mm-hmm. Westward Expansion, Comanche Wars. I just read a book, um, Empire of the Summer Moon, highly One recommend it. One of the best books ever. Incredible. I had to put it down at times. It's almost like eating really rich cake. There's mm-hmm. so much there. You almost have to pause to appreciate it. Um, but that that anything in that realm. But but aside from that, the Civil War has been something I've always been drawn to. Um, shout out to my grandfather. He, he was really into Civil War history. And growing up, I used to watch Gettysburg with him and all these these documentaries and TV shows. So it's just been something that, that stuck with me my whole life and living here in Virginia now, sort of as a adopted Virginian, I suppose. Um, it's really cool getting to you know live within driving distance of some of the most important historic sites in American
1: history, particularly ones from that era. Yeah, you just can't live in Virginia. I was going to say a place like Virginia, but I meant Virginia, period, mm-hmm. without just feeling the the draw into history. And relative to the rest of the country, the age of the institutions, the the pride that Virginians rightly should have in those institutions and their history. And you were telling me off camera that you've recently gotten into Jamestown history. Mm -hmm. That's the earliest of the early for us as Americans. That clearly has a tie to Thanksgiving, but we don't even have to go there. What do you think it is about the pursuit of history that is so appealing for us in this chaotic time of the 21st century?
0: Yeah. There's a couple of things that really stick out to me. One is when I read, I was reading some some primary documents last night, some some journals and um, some letters, and you realize that people really don't change that much. As much as times change, technology changes, the way we, we move around and communicate, humans really don't change at all. And there's something that's very humbling about that. We're in no way really morally evolved than our forefathers, but there's something also very encouraging about that. And you realize how accessible our forefathers are, and they thought and felt the same way that we did about a lot of things, maybe different issues at the time. Um, but they were really the same people, and they they had joys and griefs like we do. Um, in the case of Plymouth, a lot more grief than joy initially. Um, I was reading, I was really drawn to actually to, to, to William Bradford as a leader. Um, you know, he wasn't initially their leader. They had another leader, John Carver, was their kind of chosen leader, and he died Bradford's wife died, and then he, he was elected as their leader, and I see him really as a representative of the sort of every man, sort of the everyday American, the people who, you know, hold this quiet virtue and are willing to just put their heads down and do what is right day to day, day in, day out, without hoping to ever become famous for it, without hoping to ever become heroes, and those are the true heroes.
1: Um, yeah. And that's still true about America. I mean, if if I don't know what percentage to ascribe to it, but— Most Americans don't do what they do to be famous, to be known, to be seen as a hero. They do what they do because of their sense of what's right, their sense of duty and the best sense of that, their sense of obligation. And of course, a lot of Americans, the more elite sort of confiscate power to themselves, feel that there's a certain loss mm-hmm. and the loss as they put it and, and you know this well because you travel so much <clears throat> producing a, a lot of our digital content is the loss of the american dream is there something that you've read in your study of history that's a great reminder and encouragement for us in the 2020s that the american dream has always been something we've had to grapple for mm-hmm. and that never including up to this moment is it entirely lost anyone yeah there's a couple of things. Um,
0: one is PBS actually put out a really good documentary series about 20 years ago on the city of New York. And I really had never realized the, the hardship that so many people not only experienced, but really walked into here. People who essentially laid down their lives to, to, to work themselves to death, to live in horrible tenement housing just for a chance to give their children a better life. And I see people are still doing that. I'm from the, you know, Tampa area of Florida, and a lot of friends of my family are are, are Cuban. They're from Cuba. Um, someone I interviewed actually for a Daily Signal mini documentary a couple of years ago. He's a, he runs a salon, and he grew up in Cuba as a child. His grandfather um, had one of the largest dairy plants in the country that was taken from him when the communists took over. And so to speak with these people, and you know, almost with tears in their eyes, them tell you that. If America goes, I don't, I don't know where, where else to go. This is it. Um, but then, f- they have an optimism that we don't because they see how bad things can be. Um, but they really do believe in the American dream and, and are still some of the most ardent supporters of it. And they're going to fight for this country harder than a lot of people who, who don't know what it's like to not have the things that we do have. Who don't, who don't know what it's like to go through a civil war where you have two percent of the nation wiped out. Where, it, you know, the Battle of Antietam, in one day you have. Almost as many casualties as the entire Revolutionary War, Gettysburg, where you have 50,000 Americans killed, wounded or missing, which is more than the Revolutionary War and the War of 1812 combined, all within a day or two days or three days. Um, we look at Lincoln who puts out the, the first sort of Thanksgiving, the major, first major Thanksgiving proclamation, other presidents had done minor ones, but this was the one that really solidified it as the holiday. We know he puts it out in 1863, which is the worst year of the civil war. You have the two bloodiest battles of the civil war, Gettysburg and Chickamauga, Gettysburg over 50,000 Chickamauga. You're looking at about 35,000 killed, missing or wounded. And yet um, amidst all that he's not only asking the Nathan, nation, but giving them a charge to, to pray for those who are, who are mourning, who are hurt, but also to keep holding on for a better tomorrow, to ask God for his blessing and his mercy. And it's really a reminder that we only have the life we have, the breath in our lungs we have,
1: uh, because there's a God who loves us. History gives us perspective, doesn't it? It does. So as you prepare to celebrate Thanksgiving there are a custom in your family that you're particularly looking forward to
0: so we we started doing it very very recently last year's the first time we did it again this year we did a little mini thanksgiving up here uh for a couple of my siblings who won't be able to go home but um deep frying a turkey if you've never done it before i'd say it's worth the risk uh please be careful look up some tutorial videos don't don't throw for frozen bird in the oil but i would say it's a new one my family's We've kind of always been one of those families who sort of experiment with new traditions every year. So our tradition is probably not having a tradition. Um, But uh, I think the fried turkey is going to stick for a while. Uh,
1: Having fried a lot of turkeys (laughs) in my life, I uh, absolutely (laughs) second that motion. Philip Reynolds, thanks for everything you do. You are often the man behind the scenes, sometimes occasionally a man on stage. But we're really grateful for the work you do and grateful of your reminder that history allows us the perspective to be grateful today. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this special Thanksgiving episode of The Kevin Roberts Show as much as I did, as, as you can tell, you hear me say often, I have the best job in the world because of the people I work with and you got to see and hear from a handful of them. Most of all, on behalf of all of us at the Heritage Foundation, wherever you are, wherever you're from, however hopeful or not you are, we're hopeful that this episode has given you a shot in the arm because as we enter the concluding phase of 2023 and go into 2024, people are focused on things like the presidential election. Very important, don't get us wrong. But what's most important is what's upstream of politics and elections. And that's what we do with our own family and our own friends. Let's be sure to take good care of them at Thanksgiving and every day. Take care. God bless you. Remember, we aren't just winning. We're going to win entirely.
2: The Kevin Roberts Show is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. The executive producer is Crystal Kate Bonham. The producer is Philip Reynolds. Sound design by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and Tim Kennedy. For more information and to subscribe, please visit heritage.org.